0: And something that I find that tends to help is to have conversations with your direct manager team. If you have one, if you're solo DevRel, dev keep it with your manager or in skip level, maybe because you need to have a firm understanding of what they want from DevRel. And it's not a conversation about more is better in terms of what is frequently called vanity metrics. Like more conferences is what we want. You need to know the why because that will allow you to have an arguing position about what's actually a good choice or a bad choice. Welcome
1: fellow avocados to Developer Advocast, a podcast where we learn how the proverbial guacamole is made directly <laughs> from some of the most prolific dev advocates around. My name is Jeremy Hess, head of DevRel at Achilles.io. And since
2: you've already heard me, I'm Sharon Zisman, the bane of Durham's existence <laughs> and his jokes. Uh, I like to call myself the Chief Manual Reader at RTFM dev And we plan to bring you every two to three weeks uh, new episodes and we'll be interviewing some awesome folks. We'll be joking around because that's what me and Jeremy do. And, you know, bringing, uh, you know, really great topics that we want to talk about in the dev sphere.
1: We hope that you subscribe on Apple or Spotify and uh, please give us a five-star rating. Here we go. Here goes nothing. Welcome back everybody to another episode of Developer AdvoCast. Today, we're going to be talking about work-life balance in DevRel, and we have two amazing guests, but before we get to introducing them, Sharon, let's talk a little bit about one of our favorite communities of days past, OpenStack. I know you have a love, love relationship with them. So why don't you talk to us, tell us, remind us of those good old days. So
2: when I think about the two communities that I call home, so obviously DevOps Days and all of us are organizers of DevOps Days. So everyone on this panel, it's exciting. Um, but yeah, it was DevOps Days and OpenStack. It's, they gave you just like a bear hug. And I always felt like it was coming home whenever I would go to those uh, to the conferences and meet up with friends on the community front. And I just, I recently read a blog post about, uh, you know, um, like everyone always claimed OpenStack was dead. And I feel like JJ was also part of the OpenStack community through Chef <laughs> and stuff. Is that, uh, oh, yeah. we're gonna introduce JJ more formally in a bit, but uh, do you remember those days?
3: Oh, absolutely. I like I, mean, the, I, I credit a lot of my career to that community actually. Yeah.
2: They were such a phenomenal, they did everything, I, in my opinion, I think they did everything right
1: on the community front, so that's uh, arms, definitely- Arms uh, wide open, arms wide yeah. open, always accepting, listening, really, really listening to everyone's ideas, taking them and running with them. I really thought that was one of the most amazing things about it.
2: One of my favorite things about the OpenStack community that I will always remember is that if you submitted one poll request, one line of code to, to that project, mm-hmm. you got a free ticket to that event. And I just thought that, that was so in- inclusive. And everything I learned about inclusivity, I, I learned from the OpenStack uh, folks. So, just big shout out to those people. They're awesome. They're still awesome, and they're also from Texas. <laughs> I,
3: I do. I do need to. I do need to point out, though, that one line of code usually took about four hours worth of work because you got to <laughs> learn how to use Garrett. Um, oh no! So that's, that. that's kind of a deep cut for some some people listening to this, but it's true. <laughs> it's true.
2: All right, so like with every episode, we're going to give some community shout-outs, aside from the OpenStack community, which we love, and um, and we really just... Well, shout-out yeah. Dotan for
1: reminding us about it.
2: Yes, yes, definitely a great blog post that he, uh, that he brought to our attention. Um, but yeah, so Statscraft CFP is open, our local monitor and conf. It's going to be in Hebrew this year, and so I know that this is a more global podcast, but for those listening out of Tel Aviv... The- CFP is open, and our former keynote, Quinn, Quinn is with us today, so uh, we're going to be talking to her, too. Hi. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Before, we're going to introduce her more formally. This there she is. is the <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, Liran uh, today put out a really great blog post that I thought was uh, pretty spectacular about um, some of the amazing open source innovation coming out of the Ukraine, giving a hand tip to some of the folks that are going through a very, very hard time and have done really great tech work, so... Just really hoping everything in the Ukraine ends soon and that we see peace in our time very soon.
1: Yeah, definitely. And one more, you uh, there was an event, yes, one right? more.
2: Yes, there's a very good engin- um, uh, event for engineering leaders and engineering managers uh, led by uh, Linear B and their Dev Interrupted, very excellent Dev Interrupted community. I just thought I would give it a shout out on April 7th an incredible lineup of some of the smartest women in tech engineering managers. Like I was really impressed by the lineup. I have uh, not seen often such a ratio of, uh, you know, of women uh, on you know, a lineup, like about 70% women and all engineering managers leading women in the uh, industry. So I, that made me feel good as a woman in tech. And I, I just want to give them a shout out for that good work. Um, all so that's right. it. So that's, without further ado, let's get into our episode. Um, I want to formally introduce our uh, our guests, but I do just want to give a little bit of a preamble here because it's a little bit important to me. Because I don't want this episode to come off as like kind of a heavy episode. We had spoken about kind of work-life balance and burnout in the context of things. It's kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to to DevRel. Um, we've seen it happen before. Many people that have uh, worked in the DevRel space have uh, found themselves burning out and working a little too hard, and that's also a byproduct, of kind of the way how the role itself is even. Structured. We, you know, we had the previous episodes that um, really were a testament to how multidisciplinary the DevRel role is, and everything that comes with it—from the diversity of the interfacing within the organization, the diverse product and engineering tasks, even the outbound tasks—and that oftentimes comes with a lot of travel. And and if you don't catch it soon enough, and if you, uh, you know, you work yourself uh, too hard, and you travel too often, and you do a lot of things all at once. You can find yourself getting to a place where you are reaching, you know, the brinks of burnout. And we want to, to bring folks that we think uh, can provide some really valuable insight. Um, so this is the moment that I really would like int- to introduce JJ Asgar um, today at IBM, but really one of the more seasoned developer advocates in the industry. I don't even know that's your um, formal title. I'll allow you to introduce yourself, JJ.
3: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, and that is my title as developer advocate, which we all know means literally nothing now, but um, it's, it's, it's ba- basically, I'm, I'm, I try to be a personable nerd to um, <laughs> anyone talking to IBM. Um, I, I always say this and I'll say it here. I literally have the email address of awesome at ibm.com where um, you can get directly to me, which is really helpful. And one of the things I've learned in the DevRel community is you need a personal brand and me just being just pompous enough to have that email address uh, makes me memorable.
1: <laughs> the CAO, the CAO of IBM. <laughs> exactly.
2: Pompous is never a word I would associate with JJ. I'll have you all know. <laughs> and another seasoned you know, developer advocate in the, in the field and somebody who I've always thought has so much empathy and kindness, quintessence thanks. Uh, Tell us what you're doing today, formerly Logs.io and PagerDuty and AppDynamics and a million other things. And she's just uh, a dev advocate extraordinaire. Quinn, welcome.
0: Yeah. Hi. So, yeah, you hit the the three companies right off the bat, at least for advocacy work. Right now, I'm at a company called Vivanti. I switched back into engineering work for a little bit here. But because we're a startup and I'm employee number nine, that also means that I carry over a lot of the people facing aspect of the the role. And I also like to think uh, developer advocacy in my preferred form is what I like to nickname paid altruism, right? Because you have a parent company, but you're still hopefully really working for the community around that company or in its ecosystem, right? And so I get to maintain a lot of that as part of the current job I have. So that makes me happy. that's awesome. And happiness is very, very important.
2: And we'll get to that in this episode. The truth is I I invited uh, both uh, J.J. and Quinn because um, J.J., uh, the last time I met up with him, this was uh, at the 10-year reunion at DevOps Days Ghent, uh, the organizer uh, summit, uh, and I was intrigued that after all of that he's done in the industry, he actually chose to go to IBM, and I wanted to hear from him why he made that choice and he had actually spoken about the fact that he was optimizing for work-life balance. And I found that really, really interesting. So I'd love for you to just unpack that for us, uh, JJ, and and how you made that kind of choice and what led you to there.
3: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Um, So before I was at IBM, I was at Chef Software. Um, So I learned a lot about DevRel and how to interface with communities uh, with the avenue of Chef teaching me, learning from Nathan Harvey, uh, learning from Adam Jacob, just the,
1: yeah, we had them out in the, DevOps. this <laughs> told also, oh, it was amazing. Uh, that dude. was an amazing one.
3: Favorite people yeah. ever. And they really are those those humans, right? Like they, they wear their, I think the term is our heart on the sleeves. They're and that that's absolute. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, and I learned a lot about how to interface with communities through them. And when, um, I, I hit a ceiling at chef and, um, Basically they're like, JJ, you're not gonna find the next, you're not gonna be the next step. You should probably find something else. And I, do, I took that as like, oh no, that they're just messing with me, whatever. And I kind of held in a um, holding pattern. But the irony is, is the OpenStack community um, o- opened up a door for me at IBM. And um, I got hired on at IBM. And the reason why I did uh, was simply said, um, the work life balance is phenomenal. Uh, I have two princesses um, mm-hmm. and they're both under 15. I have two princesses. Um, <laughs> That's me too. <laughs> yep. I oh, have yep. um, so got
1: the two princesses.
3: It's, uh, and I was able to, and something IBM gave me was the um, flexibility to play um, or to be, I should say, not play because I'm, I am a father and be able to still um, fulfill the best I can in the communities that I'm a, a part of.
2: One of the things that I remember you actually speaking about was a little bit, um, about like how intense the travel was in your previous roles. And like, how you almost know, never saw your home or, you know, or, you yeah. know, it was a little over the top. And so that's amazing to hear that, that you could really make those decisions and really take that back, take, take back that control. So that's, um, I, I well, really so appreciate that. that. The,
3: yeah. That, that mirrors the the, um, the challenge that I had when I first started at IBM. Um, that's actually what happened because I got, the rule I had at IBM was I got a talk accepted. I'm on a plane tomorrow to go to that place. I got a lot of talks accepted all over the world and IBM sent me all over the world, but I didn't realize I could say no, mm-hmm. right? And now it's because it's been a little while since we had that conversation.
0: Yeah. Um,
3: I, I've learned a, <laughs> a lot where, yeah, well, there's, there's been a pandemic in the way. Um, <laughs> And uh, I've learned to be able to say no. And I've learned to, I've grown from that, that, that point where I was at that, you, you, you met me at that breaking point, right? That conversation we had was actually like, I was seriously about to throw up my hands and like, fuck it, I'm out. Mm-hmm. This is like, this is breaking me. And I got to the point where I still remember one of the worst times I had was um, DevOps Days Stockholm. I flew in, it took me about nine hours to 10, nine, 10 hours to fly there. I was there for less than 24 hours. And then I hopped on a plane and came back home. When you spend more time in a, on long haul flights than in the actual place you are, that's not healthy.
2: Yeah. (laughs) When I, when I used to do that, I, um, I would get sick, I would come home and I'd have stuck throat for a week and then, <laughs> and then what did I do with that? And then I was, again, I was like bedridden for a week and I barely didn't see, see my children. So I totally feel that. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh...
1: Well, yeah, Quinn, you you probably have some personal experiences on, on you know, similar-ish uh, veins. What do you please Yeah, and,
0: and saying no is, there's a, a lot to unpack there. Because the ability to say no usually comes with seniority, right? And not just in terms of practice, but in terms of actual conveyed authority, right? So when you have someone who's more junior and is perceived as junior in their role or new to their role, um, and I don't just mean new to the company, I mean like new, they're kind of perceived as having less pushback, like, but I asked you to do something, right? And when you have people who kind of hit that wall, you'll get people who are very prone to burnout. So burnout can, uh, the, the discussion of what type of care or what type of protective measures you can use to, to guard yourself is gonna be a little bit different for people who have, have less tenure in the industry or at a particular company so that they can actually get what they need. And something that I find that tends to help is to have conversations with your direct manager team, if you have one, if you're solar dev solo Devrel, keep it with your manager or in skip level, maybe, because you need to have a firm understanding of what they want from Devrel. And it's not a conversation about more is better in terms of what is frequently called Vanity metrics. Like more conferences is what we want. You need to know the why because that will allow you to have an arguing position about what's actually a good choice or a bad choice. So let's talk about Stockholm for a second because it was the last example that was dropped. So let's say that I'm in my first year of DevRel, i a new company and they want to send me to DevOps Day Stockholm. I've accepted talk and all the prerequisites are out of the way and that that's all set up. If I know that they're only gonna send me for a flight, a talk, leave the venue after I give the talk and fly back or leave it at the end of day and fly back or, or whatever the logistics are there. If they don't know what they want out of that situation, then I have the ability to say, does this meet the does this meet your criteria? Am I reaching the audience you want to reach? Do we have a business presence in Europe? Do we have a business presence here in particular? Do we have, are we gonna try to attract talent here? Are we going to be sending sales and or marketing and or product people here? Like what is the whole package for this particular event? And then you can start to assign, you know, travel value so that some people are of the mind that they, can do the back-to-back travel where they fly maybe to someplace in Europe from the United States. And then they just do conference travel across the continent kind of, and then make their way back. And that's one strategy if the if it fits with what the company is looking to do. But then the other strategy is like, if we're gonna be doing a trip like that, let's say Stockholm ticks a lot of boxes, but doing a single day stay is like really taxing on the individual. You can also use those whys that you've now asked, hopefully to make a case for a week and like a legitimate one, not just, I wanna spend a week in Stockholm, although that'd be cool, right? But I wanna spend a week in this region when I can take trains or planes, I know, trains or planes (laughs) to these other places and visit these clients or visit these people or or whatever. And now I've made a case for not switching time zones so aggressively in such a tiny window and you can make it out there and and actually have a, a plan to proceed. Instead of, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And then the other thing that comes out of this in terms of guarding your burnout, specifically, going back to what I said at the beginning, you need to be able to kind of, in, in a situation like that, especially if you're solo DevRel and you're kind of the bottleneck for every request that's going to come at you, you need to have an understood by others triage for that. So when people come to you with a request and you just say, no, it kind of starts to feel bad and you need to have good relationships in your company as much as outside. So if people just see you as the no person, it's why security, unfortunately, InfoSec gets a bad rap. If people don't understand why you're saying no, then they just feel the rejection without context, mm-hmm. without the ability to give you better requests in the future. And I'm not saying all of InfoSec is like this, but if you if you start to follow people who talk about issues in InfoSec, they talk about this a lot, right? They have to say no, or they have to tell you to do something and it and it's hard. And so if you're in this situation where you need to protect your time, giving people clearly defined, I understand from my boss and my skip level what they want to accomplish. This is what the rest of the company can send me that will be acceptable. And this will guarantee you, requester your odds of success of getting output from me, the dev at your company. And that can have a really healthy relationship. Um, that was
1: a that was a ton. That was a ton of like
0: yeah, <laughs> fantastic yeah. information. Yeah, that so was awesome
1: that now. was a un, that that suitcase was yeah,
2: unpacked. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's it's all a strategy game, right? And you have to know what the I, I don't want to make it a game, but like it's like any other game, you know, you need to know the rules of the game in order to move your pieces on the court. And it's the same for yeses and nos. When you
2: understand that really, really well, you can also advocate for yourself in the context of work-life balance a lot better. I really thought those were really great insights for you. Thank you so much for that. Um, One of the things I actually did uh, want uh, you to keep uh, going on there that you were the last speaker but uh, I really love your talk on quantified serendipity. um, Oh, yeah. I've seen it a few times <laughs> yeah I've watched it uh, online before I invited you to Tel Aviv to do it and uh, and um, I really like like the aspects you spoke about there about empowering diversity in tech and I, as a person who really has a, a very good grasp um, about how you think about empowering people to take more ownership of, of their like kind of destiny um, yeah. I would love you know for you to share some tips on how you you know, what you would recommend on the mental health and work-life balance side. Um, what are great sure. conscious choices that you should make in the context of, you know, um, DevRel when, mm. uh, when you take on a role like that?
0: I would say, I mean, it's all about strategy. And if you're unfamiliar with how to like do strategy and Google searches aren't helping you, like finding a mentor in the community that can help you. I mean, I, I leave my Twitter DMs open. I'm not the only one who does, but but relevantly, I guess, to this conversation. Having a conversation with someone who's been doing it for a little while so that you can start to use the interview process bi-directionally. And this is the same advice you give anyone. And I really believe that the biggest safeguard to your mental health, I promise this is an off topic, right? This biggest safeguard to your mental health is trying to avoid being in a bad situation rather than fixing a bad situation you find yourself in. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you're stepping into can really help with that. It's going to be imperfect, right? It's for the same reason that interview loop on the hiring side, you're trying to assess a whole lot of skills very briefly. You're going to be doing the same thing on your side at the table. But if you can start to ask certain questions and see how your interviewer, or interviewers in the plural, respond to those, you can really try and help yourself be set up for success for the various places you're you're interviewing at. Again, within whatever other constraints you have. But once you're already out of place, knowing, getting in a good place where either the company gives you strategy or gives you the power to dictate strategy, which goes back to guarding your nose and glasses. Like if they say more conferences and if you ask them what conferences do you want or what criteria do you have? And they say, I don't have any. They're like, you can say, great, I'm going to take a week or a month or however long it's going to take me. I'm going to give you a strategy and then we're going to follow this strategy. And that also guards your mental health because now you've told them how you're going to implement the gray area that they've kind of handed you and being able to kind of, I think they, people refer to this a little bit as like managing upward. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can happen a lot in a role that's amorphously defined right? It goes back to everybody saying, we want someone with coding skills and we want someone who will travel, but can travel a lot, but there's a pandemic. So can you also make a lot of visual or written or recorded content and this and that, and the other thing. And if they're not really sure what they're trying to get out of all of that, being able to dictate to them what you think they can reasonably expect to get out of that will really help you with your mental health, because then it also gives you something to fall back on. for something else that can plague DevRel, which is prove your value. What have you done for us lately? We don't Yes, we saw you go to the conferences, but if they don't tell you why they want you there, and then all of a sudden it feels off somehow, or they don't feel that they're getting what they want out of it, that means that there's been an uncommunicated expectation that you're just going to keep hitting until you get them to like tell you what it is. Um, And it can also give you the ability to validate in terms of your mental health, where if people say, oh, well, we aren't sure what you're doing, you can tell them. And then you tie it into the business model for them and say, I attended these conferences. We got this many warm leads or this many qualified leads on sales because I had talked to people and they went to our sponsorship booth or, or whatever, whatever framing you need to, to give it there. And then you feel like you're in a stronger position, even if you're at a company that kind of wanted you, but doesn't know what they want mm-hmm. to do about it. I
2: agree. I think that, um, no, like I've, I've been at places where there they came in there like, okay, hey, figure it out or like build us a strategy or whatever it is, but they didn't really understand the KPIs. And that's, that's a double-edged sword because right. eventually you think, oh, this is great. I don't have any KPIs so I can do whatever I want. But at the end of the day, you find yourself like it working can bite even you. harder because yeah. you don't actually know what you're, you know, what you're up against and you don't know how to prove right. success. It's like, you can't prove success or a failure at the end of the day. But like when you can't prove success, you're constantly chasing your tail and you're trying to exactly
0: uh, when you uh, can't prove success you're going to self-burn out just to prove volume Mm -hmm. right we might not know what we got out of it but i wrote 15 blog posts this month yes (laughs) right
3: and and that is that i actually cute that that brings up a great statement around this conversation the whole thing is that because there's different styles of devro Right. We have our celebrity devrels that want to like play the celebrity role. We've got our super technical devrels. We've got our, our devrels that just want to create content and don't undo the the traveling and all that. Another thing as as you go through this process, you need to identify what that that personality type you are and be able to sure you can mold your role into that one. Because mm-hmm. trust me, trust me, you get put into that wrong bucket with that skill or that not those, those skill not those skills, not those skills, you mm-hmm. will burn out very quickly because you will yeah. discover that you are living on a it's, 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 it's horrible. Like I'll write a blog post, maybe every six months. But mm-hmm. if you're asking me to write 15 blog posts in a week, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the next bottle of scotch.
2: So one of the things that, you know, a big part of DevRel and, and um, you know, in general, like kind of um, communities is is kind of the the side of like kind of the open source and volunteer kind of community spoke about OpenStack and things like that. And one of the things that we've, uh, that I've seen, and some historically I've heard, um, you know, in the Python community that there was a lot of burnout due to, you know, um, misaligned expectations from maintainers and contributors and I'm just wondering how you can build a sort of um, more reasonable expectation and SLA into like volunteer led communities um, to help them be more sustainable. You know, we have all seen, you know, how open source is become less and less sustainable. All of us are in the context of open source and love open source and it's kind of heartbreaking to see what's happening there. So, I mean, that was kind of a ramble, but how do we, you know, kind of lead uh, by example, and help build like uh, more reasonable expectations in terms of work life balance and uh, in entire like communities. J. Do,
0: from I mean, your you Yeah, that's a big question. Yeah, it's a big question.
2: Is would, it something that we can even influence, or is that, you know, that's, yeah, go for it if you already have
0: them. I mean, I think that part of it is clearly communicating expectations. And especially if it's not a new open source project and you have some historics you can rely on, it can really help you. Because then you can kind of FAQ style, address some common patterns or anti-patterns off the top, where you can say requests typically come for information to be added, but doesn't say to be added where, it says that I found an error, but doesn't say on what page it is or whatever. And you can start to say, you can start to even take have an intake form using whatever free tier tool of choice you have and kind of make it a required field that you kind of have to tell, we need to know where it is or what version of your operating system or what version of our tool or both you're using, like maybe require people do a full printout or something like that. And then you can take a look at like, more information is better off the top because at least then you're not gonna have, like if you know you have a two week response time, let's just pick a a nice number. Then knowing that if you get your requesters, your community to give you as much information on the top as possible, means that you're not going to be going through a really inefficient process with the person you're communicating with where they'll say, hey, I'm having a problem installing your product. No other information. Mm
3: -hmm. Hey, what version Mm -hmm. of your
0: operating system are you running? They tell you. Hey, what version of our tool are you using? They tell you. And if you know that you're gonna be doing days or weeks in between these, because again, it's not your day job or, or what have you, then making them required on the form, at the very least, if they miss a few or they don't provide enough, you know what you're hitting them with first. If they, you know, hey, you gave us the major version number, but we need the full version number or whatever. And you can like go through what they've provided and see where the gaps are. And you can really tighten that info, info gathering aspect, which I think can really help. But I also think clearly communicating general lead times where you notice how long it takes you if you're a solo maintainer or your team, if there are more than one of you to respond, you can set that expectation. I think sometimes it feels bad when people are like, I don't want to send a, set a two week or a one month like expectation. But honestly, if you think about it from your community's perspective, I would rather know that I should expect to wait a month than to wait a month and not know that I should like, are you getting back to me ever at that point? If it's more than like a few days, I'd say just tell them how long it's gonna take you to get back to them due to request volume or, or whatever reason you give. And I think that doing stuff like that can really help because really people remember how it is to interact with you. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of starting off, the example I'm choosing right now is starting off in a negative footing where they're experiencing some problem or some issue that they're trying to contact you about. So making that as efficient as possible for them will really help turn that around. And I think it makes it feel better to be working on the open source on the maintainer side too. We wanna talk about sustainable. We know that we don't wanna work on things that make us feel bad do you really want to go through the, the issue queue or whatever in your GitHub repo for your project if you know that you're just going to see just whatever you're going to see since you look last, a bunch of angry vitriol. people pinging mm-hmm. on their, right, like vitriol or or whatever. And people responding to their own tickets because you haven't responded yet and they don't know when to expect to hear from you. So they just keep doing ping. So it has a very short last updated window so it doesn't accidentally get filtered out, people kind of making assumptions on what they think your process might be and why they might be getting missed or whatever. And it's just gonna kind of be chaotic there. So introducing as much process as possible that's reasonable can really help. Um, I don't think that there's gonna be a one size fits all for solution, it's definitely gonna be a contextual know where your personal points of friction and difficulty are and try and design process to, to mitigate it as much as possible so that you're set up for success and your community is set up for success. But yeah. Should we
1: open up a Patreon for open source maintainers be like <laughs> pay them that now way they could quit their day job as as and they could just purely them. work open source. I mean, that sounds, sounds like one heck of an idea.
2: Yeah, so they yeah. can sponsor repos these days through GitHub that I've seen, and it's a that's a really great move on their part, and I'm happy to mm-hmm. see that. Um, what's your yeah. take, uh,
3: JJ? Yeah, I'm chewing on it, and I really I'm sure you know. actually,
2: as a person, you know, at, formerly at Chef, I'm sure you had an influx of like kind of from the open source side and open source, and, you know, the maintain maintenance of the community. How did how was yeah. that from the from the Chef side? Just just your experience? And
3: how did you kind of manage it, manage yeah. the volume? Um, well, so most of the times I get involved in communities, including Chef, was that there was already some level of process um, that Q was alluding to um, that had already existed. And I kind of helped, like when I usually come into a community in general, I'm, I'm considered a town builder, right? So there's like the, there's the pioneer, the town builder and the city planner kind of engineers out there, right. And I find myself usually gravitating to the the town town builder, where there might be for lack of a better term, a grand general store and like a post office, but there's still some dirt dirt roads, if you will, right where there is a little bit of a process, but you know, you're still gonna like blow a wheel or whatever, I don't know. I'm, I'm <laughs> stretching that metaphor farther than I should.
0: Um, nice though, That's
3: but, <laughs> Yeah, um, but, but in all seriousness, um, I find myself gravitating to those spaces because it allows me to experiment and, and help communities kind of build up to that point, uh, to the point of a city, like a real process oriented space. And one thing I've learned over and over again, especially in the, in the chef community is that there are a lot of people out there that wrap themselves up in the, the colors of the project and they wear those colors excessively, um, to the point where they almost take it personally when things go wrong and those humans, um, it's a, it's almost a growth thing where you recognize, like I did it too. Like I was the VMware chef guy on the planet. You talked mm-hmm. about VMware and chef at one point for about a year, two years and a half. I was the only person on the planet who understood it. And it got me into some really interesting conversations in the VMware ecosystem. But I quickly recognized that I got a lot of shit thrown at me. Right? Like I got a yeah. And it was, it was not, it was not good. But I had to learn that, it's okay not to wear those colors. And there's a lot of people out there who have not learned to not wear those colors, if that makes sense. And to cultivate a community, you need to find your champions who, who are able to, we're able to understand the value and bring these things forward and, and be able to, to be successful. Back to, to Quinn's point where you have that process to be able to have that quick feedback loop. You identify the people who understand the, the process that is created, help iterate, build on that process more. And then in turn, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a, a dividend effect where all of a sudden that process gets a little bit better and it gets a little bit better. Like I joke when everyone, any, I come to any project at all, the first thing I do is I look for a getting started guide. If I don't find a getting started guide, The first thing I do is I PR a getting started guide into the doc, just in the docs, just to say, this is my experience trying to get it because people forget that the developers who are writing the stuff, they live and breathe in that world as much as they can, because it's their, their project that scratches that itch. As a new user, I have a completely different view of what's going on. And here's the getting started guide of my experience. And then hopefully the next person who comes along looks at that same getting started guide. Wait a second. Did I just describe creating documentation for projects <laughs> that happen should happen in every single company in every sprint? Wait a <laughs> second. Wait a second.
0: It is wait so wait. important, though. It, it is. is. It is.
2: Have to chop wood and carry it's water, and do do that.
3: I appreciate that. Exactly.
1: Like it. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Sharona, I want to. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. What did you add? One more question? No, there? I
2: have one more. I did have one more question because it reminded me of one more thing that I actually I feel like uh, this is the right form to ask. I feel like. I guess all of us in general, in general I mean, we're, we tend to be people that are givers and we give a lot back to the community and we're very like kind of, um, we, we at least try to be open to, to helping others. And I found that another part of, um, one of the things that, um, to me, from my personal experience has, um, has contributed to my feeling overwhelmed at times and, um, is having that open door. And like uh, Quinn said, she said, like her DMs are always open. And as much as you want to kind of give and mentor and, and you know, help people, and um, sometimes like there are more requests in the queue than you have time to kind of fulfill. Uh, and I'm just wondering how you can think about balancing that out in the context of being a public facing person and a DevRel and a person who wants to help people um, to not get to a place where like it, uh, it's more than you, you want to give in a sense. Where you still feel happy about about that? So
3: um, I guess uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. I I, yeah. I haven't actually figured that yeah. out yet. I genuinely haven't, and yeah. it's it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting.
0: I feel like it's really iterative too. I don't think there's a single like easy approach to it. Where sometimes you might promise more time because you have more energy for whatever mm-hmm. reason for a certain time window, and you might find that good. unexpectedly you don't have energy in a different interval. Um, maybe, maybe you got a cold, maybe you had a world event, event, your ability to be at internal peace, um, whatever the situation is. And so you kind of need to adjust to it in, in real time. And I think as much as I don't have a perfect solution for how to kind of protect yourself, maybe upfront other than like, don't promise things you already know you can't get but if you find yourself kind of backed into a corner a bit being able to kind of agilely just communicate new deadlines to people and be like hey i know i promised this it feels bad doing me wrong that's why we all hate it it feels bad but if you can if you can say hey i know i committed to this and i just can't set a new deadline if there is one or drop it entirely if you need to or whatever you need to do and just kind of be able to do that i think it can really help you yeah it's
2: funny because you know how like sometimes you have like you know that that sigh of relief when like a meeting gets canceled. So I feel like in the DevRel space, that's like when a talk gets canceled. So just three days ago <laughs> I had a talk get canceled, and I was just like, and they're like apologizing to me. And I'm like <laughs> I was so happy about it. Dad, uh, yeah. So <laughs> sometimes yeah, we bite off more than we can chew.
1: We really appreciate all the amazing information and knowledge that you dropped on us and um you know we learned so much and we hope that we can all uh you know use those practices in our lives to to make you know to normalize you know as much as possible the amount that we have to deal with those different you know forces in our lives so thank you both very much uh and Sharon it's always a pleasure
2: always doing always. this and with when JJ always well, a
1: pleasure. <laughs> I mean, I'm talking about from like the hosting, you know, I didn't get, I didn't speak that much this time around and I'm really happy because it's, true. I dominated the
2: conversation. it's really great I to, you to- no, listen. No,
1: it's so great to just, no, 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 I just I'm get to sit mouse. back, chill and listen. I loved it. Um, so yeah. Thank you guys so, so much. We had a fantastic time. So happy time. you
2: could join us. Uh, and I love that, like, at least that these kinds of mediums can bring us together from afar, from afar. You know, different sides of the earth, um, yeah, and we're yeah. gonna bring you to Tel Aviv sometime. All right, my DevOps uh, friends, yay, yeah. friends, and uh, I miss yeah, all of back. you. Yeah, we. Um, that's one thing I can say. DevOps Day is also such a great community. Best community on earth. It really
1: is. All right, everyone. Nice. Well, Thank you both. This so is much. it. Thank you. At the end of the episode. And I guess I should be like one of those YouTubers like, hey, like subscribe, comment, yeah. share. <laughs> I'll save that I'll save that for the intro. Um <laughs> thank you both so much. We had a wonderful time for and have a really, really fantastic day. And yeah, let's hope that we can all chill out and have a, a, a you know enjoyable time while we get our work done that we want to get done. So thank you both very, very much.
2: Absolutely.
1: Route. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.